And with that, I want to thank Mark and the team, all of you. I heard you all had a rockin' party last New Year's, uh, Christmas Eve. You had an incredible service and fun hang, and Pastor Mark nailed the liturgy. I was so excited. I'm a liturgical girl myself, so I really loved the whole service. And I did note, was anybody here, do you remember what he said before he showed the cartoon of the Jesus birth of... There are, if Danielle is listening, I just want to acknowledge the fact that there are several historical inaccuracies going on, and I noted at least 20. So I just wanted to, yes, absolutely, there were several historical inaccuracies, and if you want to know more about that, um, feel free to come talk to me. I'll ruin the Christmas nativity scene, the pageantry for you any day. Happy to ruin it. So we've done so in other spark times, but it was really fun, and I'm glad you guys all had a wonderful time. Um, and I want to thank, the, continue to thank the team, you guys, and the service the week before that with the candlelight and so many of you are participation and the musicians and Darren told me it took him a week to learn the song I really wanted sung last week and I'm really glad that he practiced all week and I just loved it. So thank you all so much for all that you continue to do to create Spark um, and to be here. It's a special place and I'm grateful for you all. Very grateful for that. In my family, uh, Christmas Eve is a big deal. Uh, Santa comes twice in my family's household. He comes once on Christmas Eve, and you know, we're super <laughs> doubly special, I guess. And then also Christmas morning, so I can't miss Christmas Eve. It falls on a Sunday, I'm going to be with my folks. But it was really, it was a blessing to be able to attend online from a distance. I'm really grateful for that. Okay, well, we're going to jump on in. Uh, today we are sort of focusing on, surprisingly, the New Year's Eve calendar since today's New Year's Eve. Does that sound good? Yeah. yeah. All right. And we're going to have a party after this. There's going to be Chinese food from Green Elephant. And then we're going to have some fun games that Kevin's been working on. If you're at the retreat, you remember that there's just a slight thread of mischief that runs throughout. Um, so that'll be fun. So stick around for all the fun. And then the ball will drop um, in New York at 9, and we're going to pretend it's midnight here. So you guys can come and, and stay until 9 o'clock tonight. We'll be doing all of that. 26 years ago, Kevin and I were dating, and we were running a lock-in for junior hires and senior hires, and we had like 90 kids signed up to spend the night in a church, because this is what you do when you were 25 years younger than I am now. Um, And so we had all the kids there, and I was really grateful that he was going to come and help because the year before I had done it pretty nearly on my own. I think he'd come the year before too, but, you know, it was like a lot of, we had a lot going on. And so I was grateful for some help because I often was the only growing up that was going to stay up all night with all these kids that came from the neighborhood. It wasn't actually a very large church. It was quite a small church, lots of, lots of mostly people who had, um, were in the process of entering the promised land. Um, And then there was a massive gap. And then there were about six households. But when we would do these big youth events, all the kids in the neighborhood that were kind of unchurched and didn't really go anywhere would come and hang out with us because it was fun and it was the party in town and it was where kids could stay up all night and be safe and all that stuff. So Kevin and I, 26 years ago, were doing that. And then following that, um, and probably because we were slightly sleep-deprived, um, he asked me if I would marry him. So that was 26 years ago. And then 25 years ago, on January 2nd, we 
had a ceremony with all of our friends and family in that same church. So I love this time of year. It is a time of new beginnings and fun adventures and, um, and ridiculous party games um, and sleep deprivation that causes you to make insane commitments, insane lifelong commitments and promises that no sane person should ever make, right? Like, I promise to love you regardless of the fact that I've not met you yet because we are now just in our 20s and young and dumb and we think it's really fun to stay up all night with a bunch of kids, but, but in 25, 26 years, I'll still marry you when I, when I want to say that the ball has dropped at 9 and then go to bed before anybody else rings in the new year at midnight. Yeah. So you, you make promises, and yet here we are again. So we, the title of our message this evening is All Things New. Now, if you've been hanging around Spark for any amount of time, you know that we love to spend a lot of time thinking about the Bible and thinking about creation and thinking about gardens and gardening. I love all of that. And one of the classes that I've been teaching now for, I don't know, uh, it feels like 15 plus years, is Garden to Garden, where we read through and study the whole Bible from Genesis through Revelation in chronological order from the months of January to May, typically, because we're all ready to start something new tomorrow. So tomorrow is the day when people also sign up for insane things like, yes, I will read slash listen to 10 plus chapters of the Bible six days a week for five months in order to get through it all. And everybody gets really excited about that until Leviticus. Um, and then um, you might get excited about, again, like maybe around, you know, judges or David's stories, and then you get bored again until Jesus. So that's kind of how that works for a little while. And when we talk about garden to garden and we do this Bible study, one of the things we talk about is creation. And in everything Kevin and I would say regularly that when we're studying the text, it all goes back to Genesis. That there's something deeply important in those very first words in our holy sacred text. In Hebrew, Bereshit bara Elohim etashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. Va'ha'aretz ha'ta tohu v'vohu v'hoshecha panecha tohom. So it's like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. It was tohu v'vohu. And the darkness covered over the surface of the deep. And in the middle of that story, right at the very beginning, God says, Vahi or, let there be light. And there's light. And from those very opening sentences, we talk about creation. We talk about creation from nothing, creation from God's simple invocation of let there be light, or, and, and light comes into being. And those core verses will be repeated again and again and echoed again and again throughout our biblical narrative to the point where we would argue, and we've taught this many, many times here at Spark, that Genesis is not simply a story about creation and about how God at one time long ago created the world that we are in today, but that Genesis is a story about recreation. It's not to tell us that it happened only. It is to tell us that it happens that God is in the process of recreating all the time. And we can show you all these beautiful places, how in just a few short chapters, you know, things will go very sideways. Sneaky snake, they ate the fruit. There's a whole big backstory to it. And then when you get to Noah and the flood, the earth is so full of violence and corruption that God has decided to destroy it. And it's easy to get very disillusioned that, you know, it only took a couple chapters for humanity to take it off 
off into a horrible, terrible location and destruction where God is so saddened and broken at what the world has become that he can only think to destroy it. But out of that destruction comes a new creation again. And it echoes Genesis 1. That, those whole recreation, when, when Noah comes off that big teva, that redeeming vessel ark, all of that is a recreation. And that recreation, when, when God and Peter will say, when God baptized the earth, when the earth was submerged into water and then came back up out of those waters and there was new life once again, that theme of recreation will come again and again and again. And so we don't like to just say garden from Genesis and garden to Revelation, but it's garden to garden to garden to garden to garden garden and all the various gardens in between that we see where God is trying to break back in to the world of chaos that we live into and start to bring some life in the garden, some intention back. Isaiah echoes this too, right? Isaiah will say in 43, 18 through 19, do not remember the former things or ponder the things of the past. Listen carefully. I'm about to do a new thing and it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even put a road in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Like the desert will bloom. The desert will come forth because I'm going to do a new thing. And we have Jesus talking about people being born again and made new. And we have Paul in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, walking door, 2 Corinthians 5.17, another new beginning. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All the way then stretching to that final garden, Revelation 21. And Jesus sat upon that throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these are the words of the true and faithful. That Jesus is in the business of making things new again, recreating again and again and again. And all of us who believe this find ourselves oftentimes in a season of holy waiting where we long to see the new creation break forth into the world around us, where we long to see some justice come, an end to the violence, an end to the pain and the suffering. And so we find ourselves waiting. Do you not watch the news right now and find yourself waiting for some sort of hope, some sort of new creation, some new way, a third way, some, some way people haven't considered before because the ways that we keep grabbing for are simply just violence and destruction. Well, good news, everybody, December Advent is actually a season of holy waiting. And while we've just, just concluded this Advent season, I want to draw your attention to this beautiful Advent devotional from Gail Boss. She's written one on Lent, too, actually, and she focuses on on the natural world and how the world and creation itself speaks to God's new beginnings. And she writes here that in December, the dark and cold deepen and our rational minds dismiss it as nothing. We know that the sun will begin its return in the sky, but our animal bodies react with dis-ease. The light, the life is going. The dark end of the year brings unrest. It is an end. I so appreciate her calling out this feeling. It comes without our asking. It makes plain how little of life's course we control. This uncertainty, we don't know how to mark, and so it marks us. We feel weighted, gloomy even, and we feel guilty because voices everywhere in myriad ways sing out, it's the most wonderful time of the year. 
Uncertainty envelops all of us now, all year long. Global epidemics, earth heaving under cataclysms of climate change, eruptions of human violence. Ironically, perhaps we in this technological century are coming to sense our powerlessness against death and loss as keenly as our medieval ancestors. And with them, we feel that weight most heavenly, heavily and the dark of years end. This weight that some of you have been feeling this month, and some of you might go, well, it's seasonal depressive disorder, and so I'm going to get that nice light, and that's going to help me out. Yeah, and that's great. But I just wanted to call out the fact that it's normal. It's super normal to feel that way, to acknowledge the fact that the days have gotten short, that our exposure and our time, like we're becoming vitamin D deficient, those of us in the Northern Hemisphere right now. You're trying to figure out how to catch a little bit of sunlight in between. The hopes and and anticipations you have for everybody else who's running around pretending like their holidays are great and you're the only person in the row whose holidays are difficult. And what you don't know is, of course, that they had like four fights in order to get the Instagram pic. And then following the Instagram pic, nobody talked to one another and then they went into their other rooms, right? Everybody's sparkly version that they put out there, it's not always true, is it? It's okay to feel weighted down by circumstances, by the season, and just to have that. That is actually part of what our church fathers and mothers knew came into this Advent season, a season of waiting. So Gail continues and says, what if our sadness in December is no reason for guilt? It is a sign of being wide awake in the world, awake enough to feel loss in its many forms. Advent, which means the coming, is the way for us to engage that sadness. When life as we know it goes this year and at the end of all years, one comes and comes bringing a new beginning. The Jesus story begs us to recall what we know beneath our fear of the dark. There is one who is the source of all life and is ever creating, one who comes to be with us and in us, even especially in darkness and death, and one who brings a new beginning. Advent is the awareness that we are engaged in a holy waiting for the one to come. And while we practice that out with the retelling of the arrival and the birth of the infant Lord, we are also practicing out and giving mark and voice to the very truth that we all know. The world is not as it should be. And we are waiting for it to be sorted, for a new creation to come. As we look forward to 2024, we're going to be starting and launching next week a series in Romans. And it's going to be fun and challenging. And I think I might be the only teacher, but I don't think so. Daunting to try to give some understanding and voice to this book, this letter that Paul wrote you know, 2,000 years ago to this community in Rome that was itself going through its own difficult days. And what I think I struggle most with the book of Romans is that so many of us only know about four verses from it, and we like to take those four verses out and call it a road. Um, And then we've been trained in evangelical training to sit down and talk about those four verses with the person across from us at a pizza parlor or a coffee shop to explain to them and sort of distill down the truth of the gospel of Jesus. 
And it's not that I disagree with any of those things. In fact, those are some very four great verses. But I get very uncomfortable with snatching sound bites out um, and trying to pull them out of their very context. I would be very upset, by the way, if you took just one sentence of this sermon and then took another sentence of another sermon that I've given or even 10 minutes later and like started pushing those all together and trying to make me say something that I may or may not have said, right? But what I do love about the book of Romans, and we'll talk about this all next week because I get, I get the first go at it, um, is that I think that it is very applicable to our days that we're in today. And I'm going to snatch right now a bit of Romans 8 as we're talking about new things. Paul says in Romans 8, beginning in verse 18, to snatch verses out of context, by the way. But don't worry, we're going to teach you all through verse by verse coming up. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul just starts to call out the things that we're all noticing in our world even today. That creation is groaning. That waiting is painful. That we are in a state of suffering and dissatisfaction. And that we know that and we feel it. And deep down we know that something's not right. And our anxiety and our frustration is inward groaning. And of course there's deep groaning of all creation. Real, physical suffering at the hands of violence and destruction. Creation groans. And creation waits. Knowing that something better is to come. The whole creation, everything in this whole world, Paul says, all creation waits with eager longing for what God is bringing about. Every blade of grass, every chirping bird waits for God to set right what we are putting wrong. But also in this short passage, Paul says that creation hopes, groans, waits, and hopes. It hopes because Christ has come. And Christ is in the business of starting to put things to right even though we don't yet see it fully realized, if we hope for what we do not see, then we will wait for it with patience. This is hard work, but I'm so comforted by the fact that Paul has given us these words to know that when we are feeling dis-ease at the world around us, when we are in despair, when it looks as though there will only be waiting and groaning, We can also say, yes, but there is also hope in that. And all of it is holy. It's a holy practice to wait for the new creation to break through. So as we wait, I want to give us a few handholds. Because this is not easy. It's not easy to wait for justice to come. It's not easy to wait for powers to stop bringing about violence. It's not easy to wait 
for truth to be told, for healing to come, for reconciliation to be found. It's very difficult. So what do we do as we wait? Because all of creation is waiting. All of us are groaning. Well, first I'd like to suggest that we should remember. The first thing that we can do when we are finding ourselves in a state of waiting is to remember God's faithfulness to us. Now, I often, too, this time of year can start to feel a little heavy, especially, by the way, after Christmas. Up till Christmas, I've got things to do. It's kind of fun and it's busy and I'm excited to maybe give a gift or find some anticipation of, of, of a meeting with somebody or some time. But, but now I just have to wait 11 more months until it's my birthday and Christmas again. I mean, this is ridiculous that I have to wait so long for two fun things to start coming. So I can feel like a little, has anybody ever read Ecclesiastes? Meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. What was all that gift wrap for? People had to return their gifts anyway. It's all very dissatisfying. What are we doing that's new? People are still bombing. Innocents are still suffering. Fossil fuels are still burning. My gosh, now what? So I will be with you all and I will discipline myself to remember and to remember God's goodness and all the great, beautiful things that God has done in and amongst our community this year. I'm going to remember that Tony comes here every weekend and knows all your names and your orders and make sure that no matter what kind of day you're having or I'm having, that there's a little bit of love and care and attention that comes through. I'm going to remember that we've already discussed all of this. What do we do while we're waiting? And we did a whole big Bible conference on between heaven and earth. And we talked about what do we do while we're waiting for these things to come to pass. And we tried to do our best with an EV. And we did some gardening, a little EV expo. And we talked about getting off fossil fuels. And we, we have a community garden that launched. And we had PNs come and talk to us about why he is struggling with his faith, but still pursuing it. And we did garden to garden last year. And, and we did our first retreat back since the pandemic, which has been so fun and great. And you guys, man, you showed up and it was a blessing to be with one another, to engage with one another, to be present with one another. And I'm going to remember how God acted and showed up in that space. I'm going to remember that we can continue to sit together and to study I'm going to remember all of the things that we talked about just last year alone. I'm going to remember what I learned from your questions, from your engagement, from the teachers that were here, from the teachers that studied hard and brought things to bear. And I will remember what we studied. And I will remember that study brings life. And that I can keep studying with you all. I'm going to remember the holy conversations that we've had, the beautiful and difficult conversations that have been part of this community, which honestly, I've never seen other communities do this as beautifully and as gracefully as you all do, holding the space for the questions and the tension. And I'm going to remember that more is to come next week, Monday. I'm going to remember that we're going to actually practice the way of Jesus together. We're going to study This book, nice, short, and sweet, we're going to read it together and we're going to practice the spiritual disciplines of loving Jesus, of compassionate love towards self and towards others and towards our enemies. This is hard work. I'm going to remember that I get a community in which I get to do this together. And I'm going to remember that following that practice, we're going to just then dive directly into Jesus' teachings. 
together. Just Bibles open in the Gospels, sitting around a table and asking questions. What does Jesus have to say into our lives and into moments like this here in history? I'm going to remember that here in this place, I'm not alone. That I can connect with you. And that you can connect with me and with one another. And that we can be here and be together. And I'm going to remember that more is coming. There's a new group already ready to launch. And more on their way. And together in this community, I'm going to commit to hope. I'm going to commit to hope for what will come out of this church in the next year. That Jesus is alive and at work. That the Spirit is moving and at work in and through you all. And that more people will be equipped to love and to serve Christ here. That more of us will connect. I'm going to continue to have hope for the ways in which this church is growing. I'm going to continue to have hope and prayer for our next pastor of intergenerational ministry. Our youth pastor that's sort of like youth pastor on steroids. is going to come and help us bring all of this together. And let's keep praying for whoever that person might be. And I'm going to remember that together, we together, can bring about rescue in this world. We can see that bit of light start to break in and hope start to come through efforts of poverty alleviation, for refugee assistance and settlement in times of war and crisis and also here at home, for racial justice, for climate justice for multi-faith work, I'm going to remember that together, even in the midst of chaos and even in the midst of difficult times, we believe and have been loved and rescued by a God of rescue, and now we get to bring that rescue to others in our world. So this year, I'm going to hang out with love. In the midst of the end of 2023, which I'm very glad, by the way, to just stick in the books. It was difficult. One of my most difficult years. And I'm going to remember that the thing that brought me through was love of Christ and love of my community in this church. And that that is the thing that can continue to bring me through. I'm going to bank on grace. And what I mean by this is, man, I need so much grace. I'm going to continue to just invest my entire awareness into a God that gracefully loves me and accepts me. And then I'm just going to try to extend that grace to everybody I meet. This has become such a practice in my life that over the ministry years, I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years now, I will have people come up. And say, oh, do you remember that thing? And I really wanted just to apologize to you because this thing happened like, whatever, 10, 15, 20 years ago, something like that. And I have no idea what they're talking about. And they'll be, I felt bad about it for years. I'm like, well, you should know. I don't remember it. And, um, and I clearly did not carry it because it's just a practice for me. And you know why I have that practice of just immediately forgiving and then forgetting? It's because I need you to do that for me. I need you to forgive and forget that I mess up. All the time. I need to be held in a constant state of grace. And that's what gives me a new beginning. All the time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have new life. Like this, I just, I just need this. I need to be in a constant state of grace. And I'm going to 
embrace joy. And what I mean by this is I'm going to be defiantly joyful when there's no reason to be joyful around me. I'm going to find something to make me laugh or to bring joy or to bring some hope. I'm going to do something that I'm not good at so I can laugh at myself. I will be defiantly joyful. And I will do so even when the world is at war. Even when There's no reason for the joy that we can, no earthly reason for joy we can see. Because you and I both know that there is reason for joy. That even even when Paul is persecuted, when the disciples were persecuted, they considered it great joy. Because their present sufferings were worthy of Christ. Our joy is defiant and then it can be contagious to others. It should be unreasonable. Our joy should be unreasonable. And we should go out and we should try to find it. I was talking with a friend this last year and we were talking about some really difficult, awful thing that's happened in her life. And it will, by the way, there's no fixing it, right? There's just no fixing it. I wish that you could fix it. It's unjust. It's a loss. It will never be fixed. So we use the picture in our minds of right in front of her house in the driveway, a giant pile of manure. Like, this has been dumped in the front of the driveway, and for whatever, you know, city reasons, it can't be moved. It's just going to stay there the whole time. And we could put up camp chairs right around the pile of manure and sit right there in the driveway and go, man, this stinks. (laughs) And it does. It absolutely does. And every time we go in and out of the house, we're going to have to walk by it. It's just, it's always going to be there. Or... We could grab the camp chair and go put it in the backyard, which is quite pleasant. Now, the manure has not moved. It's going to be there. It's going to be there forever. I'm just telling you, it's never moving. It's just stinky. But we don't have to sit by it. Nobody's forcing us to sit next to it and constantly tell everybody about the big pile of manure. We are allowed to go into the house and shut the windows so the smell doesn't seep in and have a nice meal and invite family and friends. We're allowed to leave the house, walk by the manure, say, we know you're here, we'll be here when we get back, but I'm defiantly going to go bowling with my friends on a nice walk by the beach. I'm going to go and find some joy. Even though I can't afford it, I'm going to do the cheap joy option, right? I don't have to go spend gajillion of dollars. I will defiantly choose joy that I might be contagious in that joy in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to everyone I meet. Because everyone's got a big pile of manure in front of their driveway. The question is whether or not you want to like camp out with it or you want to just start to enjoy a little bit more life. And all this requires a little bit of hope and a little bit of faith. Just a little bit. And it can be unreasonable. A little bit of hope and a little bit of faith that with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And that's the story that we talked about with Elizabeth getting pregnant in her old age. The angel says, hey, with man, this is not possible. With God, all things are possible. Jesus will say it. When talking about being born again, he'll talk about it. When, when talking about a rich man selling everything he owned, like that's not possible with man, but with God, all things are possible. Like it's possible even for a rich person to find some salvation in Christ. So Spark, here's what I want to remind us of all today in this, as we look out, the day is gone. 
It can be a bit dark. We're looking over the soil and wondering if the seeds that we planted this last fall will bring forth growth as we look towards the spring. Today is a new beginning. In Christ, every day is a new beginning. Every day is a chance for you and I to be made again into a new creation in Christ. We have a gajillion second chances in Jesus. And today, tomorrow, the next day, next year, it's all a chance to have a new beginning. Today, in Christ, you are a new beginning. You don't have to be defined. I don't have to be defined anymore by anything other than the fact that you, friends, are beloved in Christ. That Jesus loves you more than anything, carries your picture around in his proverbial wallet, takes your artwork that you've done all your efforts, puts it up on his fridge and says, look at my kid. You today are a new creation in Christ and tomorrow is a new day. And that's the beauty of this wonderful Advent season into our new liturgical season that we'll move forward to anticipating Easter. The Advent is a a time where we know Christ is coming and we eagerly and anxiously await the breaking in of the new creation of this world. And now we're going to move forward into the understanding of Christ's life and the study of his life and then the study of his death, burial, and yes, resurrection, new life. So Spark, my prayer for us all is that we would embrace the grace-filled love, abundant love of Christ this year that Christ's love would pour out of us and into the lives of everyone around us, and that defiant joy, faith, hope, grace, and love would mark your coming days. That's my prayer for you, that you look forward into 2024 after the arbitrary marking of the 12 o'clock countdown tonight, and you say to yourself, this is another chance for a new beginning, another chance to be made new in Christ, another chance to choose love, grace, joy, hope, and faith to follow the way of Jesus. And we are made new every single time when we come to this, the Lord's Supper, to this table together. We remember that Christ, in his last night, also sought to bring some hope into this world, some forgiveness and some joy and some life, even in the midst of chaos and empire and betrayal. For in the night in which he was portrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever we come to this table, we remember what happened 2,000 years ago. We dine and we sup with our king today who is sitting at the right hand of the Father and with all of Christ's community all around the world. And we practice for the world that is to come, the new creation to come, the table that will be waiting for us. We get to rehearse the new creation breaking in. Come. All are welcome at this table.